Well, I brought my uh, gavel this morning. I was uh, um, uh, president of Future Farmers of America. Some of you would understand that. And as a result of being president, I got a gavel. And uh, this is leftover from our kitchen renovation. So nice wood block. And um, you'll find out what that's all about at the end of the service. We'll just put it there for a preview of coming attractions. You all good? All right. Well, today's message is entitled The Standalone Gift. The Standalone Gift. We're in Romans. We're studying Romans now, journeying through. We're in the latter half of chapter 3, starting at verse 21 and ending through 31 today. I want to um, bring forward the recognition and understanding that the gospel has two components. First of all, the gospel has bad news, and then it has good news. And so if you don't understand that there's bad news out there that we were born in with, then you really don't understand the fullness of the good news that God brings in order to erase the bad news that is in our life. But that's a reality of the gospel. It points out that we're sinners in need of a Savior. The bad news is the sinners. The good news is the Savior. And, and as we... As we um, and you say, well, what really is the bad news? Well, the fact is that when God created us, he, he outlined a moral code for us to follow, for us to, to uphold. And he said, if you can follow that moral code 24-7, every minute of the day, no mess-ups, no slip-ups, slip then I will, will, you'll be acceptable in my sight. That's, and so uh, the reality is that none of us can keep that moral code. I guarantee you, every one of you, including myself, have lied, have cheated, have stolen, have tried to think that I can fix my own problem myself without God's help or anybody else's help. That's called pride. That I have lusted, I have covenanted, all of those things I have done. And if you would get real honest with yourself, you have too. Therefore, we have broken God's moral code. That's the bad news. But the gospel also carries with it good news. It says that that which we have done, that we can't hold, that we can't keep, there is something that God has for us that will erase that bad news and put us on a new trajectory of good news. That makes us acceptable to Him. And that's really what the message is all about that standalone gift is his righteousness. How do we get it? That's the question that we have today. Well, let's um, jump in here. Uh, last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the fact that our human nature tries to get out of submitting to God. And last week, that was particularly uh, evident as we talked about the ways that our human nature puts God on trial to try to weasel out the fact that maybe he'll just overlook or maybe he won't see or maybe he'll excuse the things that we've committed against him. I saw this played out this week. Dan opened the service today and he was mentioning about the fact that uh, there were some of us that were, were down watching the process of the, our county board of supervisors talk about whether or not to award the land that was uh, uh, again, there was, there was a proposal made and award the land to this uh, Christian school. And uh, one of the things I mentioned last week 
was that our human nature tries to find fault with God's process. And we'll pick apart the process. And then if we can't find anything to pick apart the process, then we assassinate the character of the person. And I saw that played out Wednesday night at this board meeting. I go, wow, people that were uh, opposed to it or weren't for it, they picked apart the process. They, they said, well, this didn't happen, and this didn't happen, and you're not aware of this. They picked apart the process. And then when that didn't seem to be working, there were some that went off the, into uh, the, assassinated the character of one of the board members and said that they shouldn't vote because of conflict of interest and so forth. And I'll go, wow, this is just playing out my Sunday message. Well, the end result was that uh, it was passed and the school was awarded, and we celebrate that. But yeah, amen. <laughs> And I, and I appreciate the County Board of Supervisors and how they heard uh, and, and, and recognized the process that they were in and they didn't uh, deviate from that. I really appreciate our supervisors and uh, we have a group of people that uh, on, on, uh, on Friday mornings pray Winchester and we pray for them that God would lead them and guide them. And uh, so that's the way human nature functions. It tries to get around what God has for us and it simply won't work. So let's get started here this morning. Number one, is, righteous, is, is the righteousness God's essence or our status? Let me rephrase it. Is the righteousness that God has within himself, the character, the nature of who he is, does that also become our status or is it something less than? In other words, does, does God have an authentic righteousness within himself and he gives us the generic version. Does God have uh, organic righteousness, but he, he uh, gives us one with preservatives in it? Is that, is that the way it works with God? That he said, no, you're, you're, not, you're not able enough to receive my righteousness, therefore I'm going to give you less than. Is that the way God works? Well, most of us would say, no, that's not how it is. And as we begin today... Uh, I want to look way back at chapter 1, where in verse 17 it reads, and I'm using the um, contemporary, a New Living translation here. It says, the good news tells us that God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. And we'll see here as we journey down through today's message, how much faith is a part of that stand-alone gift. Well, here's the full untamped reality or untampered reality of righteousness. God's nature also becomes our status. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. And when we stand before him on judgment day, the difference between him saying, well done, good and faithful servant, and depart from me, I never knew you, the difference between whether he says the first or the last is our status of righteousness. Yes. Simply that. Do you have righteous standing with me? And if we do, it's going to be well done. If we don't, it's going to be well, depart, I never knew you. It has to do with righteousness. So it's both. In verse 21 of Romans chapter 3, we read, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known 
to which the law and the prophets testify. So God's righteousness is made known. It seems to indicate here, it says, but now, meaning that maybe something new has started that the law and the prophets have prophesied about. But the reality is that righteousness was available before the cross. Righteousness was available to all the Old Testament people that believed. You say, well, how is that so? Because in God's mind, he saw the cross taking place before it actually did. See, we assume or believe that the cross did take place and now we're living after. But in God's mind, he saw the cross take place before that happened. So therefore, he made the qualification to believe so those Old Testament folks, before the cross actually happened, when they believed, they had his righteousness, the same as we get today. Verse 22, it says, By faith those who believe. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. And what we find here in the Old Testament is that that was God's requirement then, and it's God's requirement now. Those who believe will have his righteousness. The point there I want to kind of bring out is what we receive from God, we become. This, this phrase, who believe, it's actually a, a verb that it's kind of a, a different verb in the way that we understand verbs. This one, if you would uh, notate in the, the language it was written, it is a present active participle. Well, let's just leave off the present active and talk about a participle. What is a participle? A participle describes an action you become. It describes an action that you become. An example would be you would add ing onto a word. For instance, if you, are, if you start to sing, you are singing. If you start to eat, you are eating. If you start to laugh, you are laughing. So if you start to believe, you are believing. And those who believe have God's righteousness. So what we believe, we have. We become we become the righteousness of God based upon the fact that we believe. Now, faith is available to all. Everybody. It's free. It's available to all. But only those who believe become righteous. Those that don't believe don't become righteous. But those that do have the same status that God has in his character. Number two, everyone has failed at image bearing. The Apostle Paul states about the, the positive here and, and what we can have, but then he, he comes back around and he talks about the fact that we failed at image bearing. He says in verse 23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Red, brown, yellow, black, and rot, white. We're all sinners in his sight. That's true. And so human beings are created in the image of God. What does that mean? Image means a visible representation of something. That's what image means, a visible representation of something. So God originally designed you and I to bear his image, to be a reflection of who he is as a person. 
Have we done very well to be an image bearer? No, we haven't. We failed at that through breaking the moral code. And as a result, we've sinned. The word sin means to miss the mark. That's one definition of the word sin, to miss the mark. There's a mark there, and we missed it. And the Bible calls that sin. And so we've been created to be this visible reflection of God, and we've all fallen short. Adam and Eve listened to a different voice than the voice of God, and as a result, they fell, and we inherited that nature. Impossible for us to keep the moral code. We've all fallen short. But the good news is that God said, I don't want that for my people. I want to design, I want to bring them out, I want them to have my image again. I want them to have my righteousness. The question is, why don't more people realize the bad news and therefore choose the good news? What so often is, happens to us is that we feel, uh, we, we feel that our good and bad just balance out. I mean, think about it. What happens when we um, have uh, do something wrong that we know is wrong? We do something good the next day, hoping that that would balance out the bad that we did yesterday. We try to, we try to double it, so to speak. And so we, you know, it's like, uh, I can hold a grudge against someone as long as I don't murder them. That's how we balance it out, you know. And God says, wait a minute, the grudge is just as destructive as the murder. But that's not how we see things. And uh, so, you know, we, we can say, well, I can fudge the truth a little bit here because everybody's doing it. We balance it out. Say everybody's doing it, therefore it's okay for me and God will understand. But that's not how God sees it. Jesus really took this kind of thinking and uh, he dispelled it in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, he uses uh, about five or six examples, I'm going to choose five, of where people were trying to justify their human reasoning. And J Jesus said, no, this is how God thinks. And we need to line up again of how God thinks. So he goes down and he said, you have heard it said to people long ago, you shall not murder. But, if any, but anyone who murders, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Here's another one. You have heard it said, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Here's another one. Again, you have heard it said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven or for, God's, or, or for it is God's throne. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And here's the last one. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. What's Jesus communicating here? He's saying that we are not capable of self-judging. 
that we can't decide for ourselves what's right and what's not. We don't have that ability because of the flaw in our human nature. I was, uh, got a chance to listen to the Attorney General of the State of Virginia speak this week, and, and he said some interesting things. He said, our federal government is not legislating anymore. It's operated through litigation. Executive orders and litigation. There's no more legislation. I thought, wow, that's fascinating. He said, I woke up in the morning and decide how to sue the federal government. I'm like, really? He said, I don't necessarily like that, but that's the level that we've come to. It's through litigation rather than legislation. And he, but the call was to come back and have constitutional leaders that would stand up and do their part. It's interesting how human nature just uh, boils itself down to the lowest common denominator rather than receiving what God has for us. Number three, the standalone gift unwrapped. Let's unwrap this standalone gift we call righteousness. And we see in Romans chapter 3, verse 24, that uh, Paul writes, and he uh, starts out there, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. So free means free to the receiver, but not the giver. Free means free to those who receive it, but free isn't free to those who give it. And sometimes we forget that. Like you as parents or maybe somebody, good friend, having a birthday, and you say, give me your Christmas list or give me your birthday list. And so whoever's you tell that to, they write their list out. And you go and you purchase what is on that list. And you bring it to them and they open up their gift. And what do you think? Maybe you've had this happen as parents. The child doesn't care about the gift. Maybe misuses it, mishandles it, leaves something electronic out in the rain. Well, what do you do as parents that you actually put your hard-earned money into this gift? You're like getting mad. You're like, you know, take better care of that. That cost me something. That was a half a paycheck for that. And the receiver doesn't really care because they weren't involved in the cost. And sometimes we forget the fact that God didn't disregard sin. It cost him something. And we forget the fact that it cost God something to provide what he now makes available as free. Just like a child isn't aware of what it costs the parent to provide that Christmas gift that they take for granted or maybe don't enjoy. So when you're the giver and it costs you, you have invested interest in how well that gift is received. One year, I don't know, I don't know when it was, I don't think it was a birthday or holiday, but we got our kids a rabbit. I don't think we're very good rabbit people. There was no care instructions on the rabbit. And our kids, I think they just tortured that bunny. I mean, I don't know. Uh, it was just, and so really the only recourse the bunny had was to bite. And if you've ever been bitten by a rabbit, they go deep and hard. I mean, I still remember. We got rid of one and got another, and it did the same thing. So I don't know. We didn't learn anything in the first round. But, uh, yeah, we, uh, we, we gave the bunny back, and 
and we decided we're not bunny family at all. We just couldn't handle, handle that one. But the process that, uh, that in Jesus coming and dying for us to give us his righteousness, it's called redemption. It's mentioned to redeem. What does the word redeem mean? If you dive into the word redeem, it means to buy back. So there's a cost involved in the word redeem, to buy back. And we usually think of redemption being associated with slave traders, and they would bring those from, from wherever to, to the auction, and landowners would bid on the people that were slaves. And obviously that was a part of our nation's history that, thank God, we uh, uh, took a war to get over. And, and even beyond that, the civil rights movement to get beyond that. But praise God, you know, we're essentially past that. Sometimes the enemy wants to bring it back on us. But we need to realize, no, we fought that battle. We're free. Let's, let's move on beyond that, that, that kind of uh, uh, mentality. But when the, the thing that um, is relevant here with Jesus is that when he purchased our uh, freedom... He said that now you can choose to do whatever you want. It's like the slave trader or the landowner buying a slave, bringing it back to his plantation and go, now you're free. You can stay here. You can go. You can reunite with your family. You can move back to your homeland. You're free to do whatever you want to. And that purchased slave, that redeemed slave, could then decide what they were interested in doing. It was up to them. And what, a, what an amazing gift if you were that slave that was, felt like that you were going to be entrapped to be purchased and brought home and say, now you're free. Do whatever you want to. I'm, in fact, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll help you get there. I'll drive you there. I'll give you money that's needed to. I'll get you a start. I want to put you on a new path. That would be amazing if we were in that situation. And that's exactly the situation that we were in, in our human nature. We were trapped. We couldn't keep the moral code. We realized we were doomed. And God comes along and says, no, I want to send myself and my son Jesus, and he's going to pay the cost for you that you could have my righteousness. Wow. It's pretty amazing. We see here in verse 25, the crucifixion of Jesus was a public display. Let me read it for you. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he left the sins uncommitted beforehand, unpunished. We have a, have a, a listing here of the costs that Jesus paid in order to get us free. You go to a grocery store, or maybe a um, you go out to eat or perhaps you go to a hardware store and you buy a whole bunch of things and all of those items that you bought have a cost associated, right? And you count up the list and sometimes you go down through the list to make sure that the bottom line of what you're paying is actually itemized right. You know, this was on sale. Did they charge that or did they not? You go through that list. And so here we have a listing, a partial listing of the cost that Jesus went through. First of all, we say that he was a sacrifice, and that was a cost. And then we say of atonement, which is through the shedding of his blood. Well, that was a cost. And then it goes on to say that it was, we receive it by faith. 
Now, the thing that I, I want to point out here, that in the cost of Jesus, it wasn't the fact that his body was just tortured. There was way more cost than that. In fact, he was accused of things that he didn't do. That was a cost. He was um, blatantly accused of sins that he had never committed. They questioned his motives. That was a cost. His identity was slammed because he said he was the son of God. And scripture says that many times he did not respond. He did not retaliate. He did not defend himself. That's a cost. He restrained himself. That's a cost to be able to restrain yourself. He didn't yell, stop it. He didn't yell, you're wrong. He didn't say, my lawyer's going to be on your front door in the morning. None of that is what he said. He didn't say, I have my constitutional rights. He absorbed the cost because it was human nature that needed to be overcome in order for us to have his righteousness. He was receiving the ugliness of our fallen human nature, not defending himself. So it was way more than just a body being beaten. It was all the other internal accusations that came against him, and yet he forgave. What an amazing God that we serve. So the cross demonstrated justice was served against sin. Let's look at verse 26. And he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies to those who have faith. God didn't let fallen human nature off the hook. He punished it. He offered an innocent man to redeem us. And the purpose for why Jesus came was to save us. To those who believe, past, present, and future. And we see here that the cross demonstrated that not only for this generation, but also previous generations. And while the cross had an actual physical demonstration about it, it was done publicly. It wasn't done privately. So that everyone could see and people could write it down. And that's what it took to purchase our righteousness. The same righteousness that God has becomes our status as well. Number four, when faith is enacted, righteousness is declared and boasting ceases. Let me read that again. When faith is enacted, righteousness is declared and boasting ceases. In verse 30, I'm reading it out of the contemporary English version. It says, there's only one God... And he accepts Gentiles as well as Jews simply because of their faith. The argument is being brought forth that if you believe, then you are made righteous. Not because you keep the law. Now that's hard for us to understand because we're so prone in our fallen human nature to put ourselves into competition, to think that, well, I've kept this law and you haven't caught it, kept it, and I'm pointing fingers at you, I'm further than you, you're lagging behind, why don't you move up? That's what the law produces. 
It produces a competition and a boasting that I'm better, I've got it more together, you don't have it together, you needed to get it together. All of this, this backbiting and looking. But when you realize simply righteousness is given to those who believe in the finished work of Jesus, that's it. It takes away the boasting. It takes away the competition. It takes away the fact that I'm better than you and you better get your act together. It takes all that away because it simply brings us to the place of do you believe? Do you have faith in the fact of that Jesus Christ did for you what you could not do for yourself? There's no way that you can keep God's moral code. None of us, not you, not me, no one. Every one of us are going to walk out of here and we'll do something today that will break the moral code. Whether we mean to or not, break the moral code. You know, sometimes we oftentimes associate our righteousness or our favor with, with doing something that would impress God. Like I go out on a golf course and I hit a great shot. And I'll tell the guys sometimes, well, I had great devotions this morning and God loves me. <laughs> No, that shot was pure luck. <laughs> that was pure luck. Because the five or six shots after that are horrible. They're when you want to, is it the kind that you just want to fold the clubs in and go home and you're just on the fourth hole. You see, it's not because I had good devotions and God loves me that I had a great shot. That's just because I don't play golf a lot. And I'm very inconsistent. And I might get three out of an 18-hole run. And I rejoiced over the three. But it's not my righteousness. It's not my standing with God whether or not I play golf well. So faith is the only requirement to be made righteous. Faith in Jesus is the only requirement to be made righteous. And verses 28 and 29 reflect that. What does that require? It requires humility. Because we have to get to the place to say, I can't do this on my own. I don't have the ability to keep the moral code. Therefore, I need God. It's humility. And Paul mentions the fact that without believing faith in Jesus, then we're just left with a law. And that produces competition. And that produces uh, a, 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 a person of pride rather than humility. You can trust a humble person, but you can't trust a person built up with pride. Proud people think that it has to be done my way, and if it's not done my way, then the highway. But that's not how God brings us righteousness. The other point that I have there is, is the law is now removed because, uh, what's a question? Paul ends this in verse 31. He said, is the law now removed because faith is central? Should we just do away with the law now that we have faith? And again, he comes back more powerful than ever in other places. Absolutely not. The law is wonderful. God's word is amazing. I am so glad that it's written down that I can read it because I absolutely know when it's written clear, I don't have to guess anymore. I don't have to walk in the dark and stumble and all of a sudden, oh, well, I didn't know that. No, I can read it and be clear about what's required and what's needed. But can I keep it on my own? Absolutely not. 
But it's great to have it written down that I can see and understand. I want to do a, a summary here for you. And then we're going to talk about this gavel and block. What have we learned so far from this section of verses? First of all, there's no way to be righteous in spite of the fact that there is a way to be righteous in spite of the fact that we are morally corrupt. There is a way to be righteous in spite of the fact that we're still morally corrupt. The way it happens is to believe or place our faith in what Jesus has done on behalf of human nature that we all have inherited. He did it for us. It was a substitute. Three, when we believe what Jesus did counts for me, counts for you, then righteousness is declared on my life. It's declared. It's not infused. It's declared. It's a judicial thing. It's in the courtroom of heaven, so to speak, that when I choose to place my faith in what Jesus has done for me on the cross, God says, I declare over you, you are now righteous. That the same righteous that I have becomes your status. Yet oftentimes that's not how we think. We think, I have to measure up to get righteousness. That's not what God says. He says, if you believe, you will receive. Abraham believed God and it was credited unto him as righteous. Number four, God never overlooks our sin. Never overlooks any sin. He, oh, don't, don't bother with that one. That's, that's, that's just a small one. Let's not bother with that one. Never did that. It only happens, but he, he dealt with it completely in Jesus. Thoroughly in Jesus. And that's the good news of the gospel. That we can actually have God's righteousness by simply in faith believing. That we can have his righteousness. That's amazing. Number six, there's two factors in our salvation. One is the finished work of Christ, what he did on the cross to, to achieve our righteousness. And then the second thing is our faith that we put in him. You see, if you didn't have the finished work of Christ completed, then us putting our faith in God wouldn't be enough or wouldn't work. It takes both. You put your faith in the finished work of Christ. And if the finished work of Christ had not happened, then our faith would be in vain. It's like having a credit card. Many of us use a credit card. What do we do? We take that card and we go out and we make a purchase. We put it in a machine and we have faith to expect that the bank is going to make that payment because we have an account with the bank that has a positive balance. And so much in the same way, God says you can go through life and whatever happens to you, you will always have a positive righteousness in my bank because you've chose to believe in the finished work of Jesus. You'll never run a deficit. It will always be positive. And you can use credit 
anytime you want to. And the bank's going to pay it because you always have a positive balance in your life. Does that mean we're perfect? Absolutely not. Do you know that after Abraham was declared righteous, he lied about his wife. He had an illegitimate son. And he laughed that God would actually enable Sarah to get pregnant at 90. He wasn't perfect after he was declared righteous, and neither are we. See, our righteousness is something other than the fact that we're still growing into be more like Christ. That's a separate issue. We're going to get to that in later chapters. This thing that's going to be introduced called grace. It's amazing. I think there's a song by that, isn't it? We're going to understand that fully. But today I'm talking about the righteousness of Christ. That if you have professed or made Jesus Lord of your life, I believe in what Jesus has done for me, then God says... You are declared righteous. It's a judicial. It's, 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 it is in the courtroom of heaven. It's something that can't be taken away unless you stop believing. It's based on believing. You can have a lot of things go wrong in your life but still believe. You have a lot of things you're still working to but you can still believe. And God says, because you believe, you are righteous. What does that mean? You have right standing with me. You can come to me anytime and we'll get things straightened out. That's what it means to have righteousness. It's amazing. So today, I want to ask you the question, has anybody ever declared over your life, if you believe in the finished work of Christ, has anyone ever declared over your life that you are righteous? It's a question. We can, you know, be born again. We can say a sinner's prayer. We can be water baptized, even baptized in the Holy Spirit, but still not realize at that moment I was made righteous. We still think we're flawed. We got some growing to do, granted. But because we messed up yesterday, we tend to think, God doesn't want to hear from me today. No. You've been made righteous. You have right standing with Him. Again, the question, has anybody ever spoken over you or declared you are righteous? I'll give you an opportunity today to be declared righteous so that you can settle it. What's the prerequisite? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? If you haven't yet, you can do this in this exercise we're going to go. You can place your faith in Jesus right now and receive the righteousness of Christ being declared of your life. It's just that simple. It's just that straightforward. It's believing. So if you'd like to be declared righteous, stand up. Stand up, and we're going to have a say-after-me kind of prayer, and then I'm going to bring down the gavel. All right, Chris, come on up here.
We're going to bring that microphone over so that we make sure that we have it's amplified. Does that sound good? You into that? All right. Here's what we're going to say. Say, I, Bobby. Now, wait a minute. Don't say, I, Bobby. <laughs> say, I, your name. Because I've placed my faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross in my place, I am now declared righteous. This means I have right standing with God, free to access His throne room every day, an audience with my Father. Upon that con uh, upon that confession, upon that confession I, declare over you, I declare over you, you are righteous. You are righteous. Yeah. One for the Father, one for the Son, and one for the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to settle this issue, Lord, as a standalone gift that you've given us for those who believe. And you made that available for those in the Old Testament. You made it available for those in the New and those born after that, including us today. And we thank you, God, that your righteousness cost you your son's life. May we never take for granted that what you have given to us of yourself, the righteousness of Christ, that becomes our status now. May we never take it for granted. And may we always be grateful that you shared your righteousness with us. So that on that day when we meet you face to face, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Because we believed and you credited to us your righteousness. Thank you, Jesus, for your incredible standalone gift. Amen.